and you're listening. And you're listening. You're listening to Sam and Hank. Sam and Sam. Sam. To Sam and Fest Radio. All right. Welcome back, listeners, to our second season of Salmon Fest Radio. Here we go. We're your hosts, Satchel and Dave. We've got a hot new season coming down the line for you, and this is our very first episode. At Salmon Fest Radio, we strive to celebrate Alaskans' connection to salmon and make sure you stay in tune with that connection through the winter months. We're recording today from the elegant studios of Cook Inlet Keeper in beautiful downtown Homer, Alaska. Homer, Alaska is the unceded territory of the Denina and Supiak peoples, and we'd like to offer our respect and acknowledgement and gratitude to the peoples that have stewarded the salmon landscape for time immemorial. You know, if you're a first-time listener to Salmon Fest Radio, you can find the entire first season of our program wherever you find podcasts. Give it a listen. We've got some good stuff in there. Salmon Fest Radio mixes music and interviews from bands recorded at Salmon Fest with tales and stories of salmon champions, people that spend their lives so closely connected to salmon they've earned the title of champion. <laughs> you know, by bringing together these individuals who have deep connection with salmon and deep knowledge, uh, we're able to show you different aspects of a fish that we all care about. But absolutely, Alaskans connect to salmon in so many different ways. And we try to share stories of people who really make their lives interconnected with salmon and look at all the different ways that Alaskans relate, love, and thrive with salmon. And by bringing this connection to the forefront, we hope that it helps all Alaskans, everyday Alaskans, become better spokespeople and better advocates for salmon and salmon issues in our state because it's something that makes our state so wonderful. And I'm very excited to share music recorded at the 2021 Salmon Fest because we had spectacular acts, we have wonderful music, and we think you're going to enjoy that. Absolutely. Should we dive into it? Come on, let's do that. Um, what, do we, what did you bring today, Satchel? Today we're going to hear from an artist who really stole the show in a lot of ways at Salmon Fest this year. His name is Byron, and he has a project called I Sing You Dance. You know a lot about Byron, Dave. You want to? Yeah, I met Byron years ago uh, in Anchorage. Uh, he was one of the first Arctic Youth Ambassadors selected back when President Obama came to Alaska with the other delegates from Arctic nations for the Glacier Summit in Anchorage. When we talked seriously about climate change, Byron was one of those first Arctic Youth Ambassadors. He's a remarkable person from the outer coast there on the west side of Alaska. He's dedicated to conveying culture and his connection to the place. He's a wonderful musician and singer. His voice just knocked me out the first time I heard him sing. And I think you'll agree that Byron Nikolai is a, a terrific first performer for this season of Salmon Fest. After we hear from Byron, both in his backstage interview and, of course, tunes from his onstage performances, we're going to dig into our Salmon Champions story, which is a story that highlights the Aklutna River, which a lot of people who live in the Anchorage area know as a place where they go to recreate, but not a place they go to fish. And the reason people don't fish in the Aklutna area is because the river has been blocked by two dams. So we're going to hear from a couple salmon champions who have been working to restore the Aklutna River back to the salmon fishery it once was. 
That was Byron Nikolai, I Sing, You Dance, from the main stage, the inaugural performer at Salmon Fest 2021, performing a blessing song that he had learned from his uncle. Now let's get back in to his set. I went to a birthday party, and then after we ate, we were sitting down talking, and then someone took out the drum, and I was like, oh, Snappy, are we about to do that? And then so we started dancing in the house and it was, everyone was just having a good time. And after that day, um, the next week, I woke up and it was a beautiful day just like this. I look out the window and I was like, And I was like, oh snap, you know what, you can make a song about that. And so what that is, what that means is, let's go dance, it's so beautiful outside. And then so that's kind of how the, how the song came to be is because I, I was remembering the feeling from the birthday party and I was like, okay, let's, let's get, bring, that back, bring, the, bring that feeling back. And so came up with this song. It's called Let's Go Dance. Yeah. 
Well, that was Byron Nikolai from the new main stage at Salmon Fest 2021. Now let's go backstage with Byron and uh, get to know him a little bit better. Okay, today's Friday, the 6th of August, 2021, Salmon Fest, our very first interview with the very first performer on the new and improved river stage here in downtown Nanilchik. Our guest today, well, um, well, would you introduce yourself, sir, and tell us where you're from? Yeah, so my name is Byron Nikolai, but um, a lot of the times I go by I Sing You Dance, which is a Facebook page that I created a while back. Um, I'm originally from Tuxuk Bay. Um, I've, I've got family in Atmachok, that's where the, my dad's side is, but mainly grew up in Tuxuk Bay, which is southwest part of Alaska next to Nunavak Island, if you know where that is. Um, and yeah, live next to the ocean, so this feels like home almost. Yeah, we've mm -hmm. got a little water close by. Tell us about Tuxuk Bay. What, what's, the, what's the scene like there? If we were to travel with you, when, when Oh we man, go? so... I'd take you all around. I mean, we've got mountains you could go up. We've got the beach you could go on. And then um, about seven to eight miles out of Tuxuk, there's a tiny fish camp called Umkumut. And what that place is, there's um, some residents from another village nearby. Just because they're inside of the river, they go there for the summer to fish. And so it's a very nice scene out there. And uh, you got, we're in a bay, so it's kind of like, it, reminds, it might remind you of the Homer Spit. And then so we got the ocean next to you know, the village, and it's, I don't know, it's a little bit of everything almost, except there are no trees, that's the only thing, no trees. It's no, tr no trees, what, what, uh, how do people, how do people thrive out there? What's a day in the life of folks out of Tuxuk Lake? You know what, so ever since I've been out there, and I've been, like, every time I try to hang out with my friends, they're, a lot of the times they're either going fishing, so right now, it would be berry picking season, everyone's getting ready to go berry picking, but earlier during the summer, it was like halibut fishing, um, salmon fishing, and then going for herring, so a lot of the times, it really depends on what season it is, on what they do, but right now, everyone would be getting ready to go berry pick. They pack up their boats, they drive hours, miles away, camp out, just like the, they're camping out here, pick some berries, and you, you're good for the rest of the winter. That's awesome. Mm. Well, this is Salmon Fest, so we should probably talk about salmon a little mm. bit, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing people are connected to salmon in some way. Out of oh, man. Bay. Everyone. It broke, okay. Everyone kind of communicates with each other out in the village. It's so small, you're able to do that, and so... Whenever someone catches the first salmon, everyone's just kind of getting their red nets ready. And while they're doing that, you've got boats out at, the, out at the beach. Everyone's out there at the same time. You know, you're catching up if you haven't seen them in a while. Ask them what they're going to do, who they're going with. You've got dads and uncles bringing their kids. You've got cousins going with each other. So it's kind of a little bit of everything. You've got moms. You've got aunties going. You've got sisters going. So salmon's for everyone out there. Are, are most people... Is there commercial fishing and subsistence, or what? It's all subsistence. There's no commercial fishing out there. Everyone that does what they do out there, you know, they've always done it, and they're going to continue to do it. Um, out there, you know, the price for things in the grocery stores is insane, so we mainly live off the land throughout the, the season. During the spring, um, we go out um, hunting, and then we pack our freezers for the winter, and we mainly live off the land. What's the most challenging part about living in Tuxuk Bay? The service, internet. You don't you don't really get that out there. The only 
internet you're gonna have out there might be 3G and that's about as far as they'll go and it's not that great since everyone's trying to be on it and then when you've got Wi-Fi out there it's pretty expensive so not a lot of people have it and when I was out there about a year and a few months ago um, I was trying to you know make some music and it was hard to do that just because every time I would try to open up the software that I record on it would say connection error so like after a few times you're like oh I'm not even gonna do this anymore like it's not even worth it you know it just keeps happening and the best time you'd have to record would be late at night when everyone's sleeping so that's when the internet's a little bit faster that's when you could load videos quicker that's when you can upload photos so what I used to do back then is during the night if I wanted to release something I would upload it and set a time for it to be released that way I don't have trouble like when I'm trying to release it that way it'll already be in the cloud ready to be posted but that's the main thing out there is just like you don't have good internet connection it's that's yeah. very challenging I mean I can't live without Wi-Fi I mean a lot of the stuff that I do is online so if I can't get online then how am I gonna do you know what I would like to do yeah Yes, yeah, but a good thing about so like there's two ways to think of it. A good thing is you have time to be with your family, you have time to go outside, and so like either way, it's kind of like a win win. But I would have to say, internet, you know, I mean, 3G, Wi Fi is expensive, you can't be on your phone. I mean, but could you talk a little bit about the connection to that place that you grew up and and your music today and and how that comes together? So um, I come from a family of drummers. Um, my grandpa, he was a lead drummer for the Tuxic Bay Community Dance Group. And then I have um, my uncle, who is part of Bumyo, who is going to be performing here at Salmon Fest. He's my uncle, so he's in the band. And then I had my older cousin, who was the lead drummer when I was in middle school for the Nelson Island Dance Group. And then so it kind of l runs in the family, but I really didn't get into it until... I was I was in school and I was walking no I was getting ready to walk home but I saw my older cousin Moses he was getting the drums ready making sure they sounded well and testing them out, testing them out singing songs and as he, as, soon, well, as he was doing that I walked behind him and then I just kind of stood there and I was like okay like that's interesting like it sounds good he sounds good and he's my cousin so I sat there for a little bit and then he was singing a song that um, I kind of knew uh, from before so I was singing along with him quietly and then he hears me he goes what are you doing and I was like no I was just watching you I was admiring what you were doing and we kind of have like a little jam session right there so he goes why don't you come to practice and then this was the middle of the school year I just transferred school and so um you know the dance group just started and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to join but as soon as he said that my world lit up I was like yes thank you I will be there I got there, I went to where the dancers are, because you have the drummers and the dancers. I sat next to the dancers, he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? Come sit next to me, come drum. And that's when I was about, I think I was like 12 years old. And so I was just a little kid. And that's about the same time I made my first song. And I just kind of stuck with it. I really fell in love with it. And fast forward two years later, I, I created I Sing You Dance. That's when I first started. And what I did on there was um, I, I, I love to drum. I would just be singing everywhere that I go. And so I was thinking, you know, I might as well just try freestyle something, record it, and then post it on Facebook and see what, you know, see what they think. I started doing that and then gained a, 
a following and I was like, okay, maybe I keep doing it. I'll get more followers soon enough. You know, more people started coming in. Then I started adding humor into it. And then that's when it really jumped into the thousands from like 200 to, to about 1,000 followers. And then I just continued to do that. And, you know, it just, it all just kind of like fell into place. And I remember when I got to about 13,000 followers, um, I was, I think I was like 14, 15 years old. And my mom sat me down. She goes, you've got a big following now. You're going to want to, you know, be careful with what you put out there. And um, there's a lot of people who listen to you who are going to want to follow in your footsteps. So after we had that talk, I kind of started going towards um, don't be afraid of who you are. And it's not, you know, it's not bad to want to learn your culture. It's actually pretty good. And I started going towards that route. And, you know, I kind of figured out what, you know, that helped me um, figure out where I actually wanted to be with this music stuff because that was kind of like a big jump and that was kind of a lot of pressure. And so um, after that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on music that, you know, makes me happy. And then if it makes me happy and you could share it and if it makes them happy, then, you know, it's kind of like a win-win. You've got a following and everyone's, in, you know, you have people enjoying your music. And I started from it went from drumming it went from drumming to going on the loop station creating my own beat and to actually going online and looking for beats that i could use to go make the songs that i do now and so it's what um, i've been able to see the process over the years and it just it still amazes me because i'm not you know, I'm not done, you know, there's still a lot more to be done and I'm not sure where it's going to take me, but I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. You're listening to Salmon Fest Radio and if you're just joining us now, you're hearing clips from our Salmon Fest 2021 interview with performer Byron Nikolai with the project I Sing You Dance. And if you want to catch up on what you've missed, you can find a recording of this episode anywhere you stream your podcast. this next song, it's called Gimito which means I'm alone. And it doesn't necessarily translate into the title. It's kind of like um, expressing, so in the, within the lyrics, I was just like expressing what it feels like to be alone. And um, every time you know I perform it, you just kind of get into it. And um, this is actually my friend over there, Jamal, hit one of his favorite songs. And this is the first time he's seen me live. so. I'm happy that everyone, including him, could join me today on this stage for the very first performance on this stage. And the view is beautiful. I mean, like, we got the sun shining right on us. And so I think this is going to be a great weekend. I think this is going to be a great weekend. Oh, and I forgot to say, this is my first Salmon Fest, too. So I can't wait to check around and see all the vendors and meet some people. So I feel like it's going to be a great weekend. Right, so this is Gimeto.
God, that felt pretty good. That I, like I feel pretty good about that. How was that? You guys like it? Awesome, sweet, awesome. Oh, and then this next one. It's called Dangach Sugamkin, which means I want to see you. Now this was made. Okay, so this was made during um, the lockdown. Everyone had to stay in there and couldn't really see family. And so I went into my room. I was looking for um, some tunes. I came across this one right here. And we instantly clicked because the first time I heard it is I didn't even finish the whole track. I just put it onto uh, my software, started recording, finished it, finished it in the same night. And then so now that we're here, I don't have to say dang sugamkin meaning I want to see you, because I can see you. So we're here. Yeah. 
Byron, I, I love, love what you perform there and the looping and the technology and singing with yourself. It's beautiful and the beats you've chosen. But the thing I n noticed most was in your in explanations between songs of, of what this song means, there's often a layer of meaning and then another layer of meaning mm. that uh, uh, the, the lesson may not appear at that superficial level of the title, right? Mm -hmm. what, is that part of the language? Is that part of the culture? Is that Byron? Or where does that come from? So I've been singing for about most, I would say for right now it is most of my life now. And so I've got a lot of practice in. And Yupik was the first language that I learned and I had to learn to speak English. And then so I've, I've always done a lot of these songs in Yupik. And then few years, have gone by and then I realized that not a lot of people do this and I think it could be is it's I mean you have Bumio um, and they're pretty big too it, it I feel like it could be for like this new era of this type of music and I really hope there are more artists who come out from the grounds and rise up especially if you could do it in another language I read a study where UAFs estimated that by the year 2100, a lot of the Alaska Native languages are going to be lost. And so that's not so far. And what I would like to do is create as much songs as I can in my language. That way there's some sort of way to preserve it. And then you can always go back to it. And then with the meanings, it always helps to know what they're talking about. And then so I think that's where it comes from. It's like a language that it, not many people around the word, world speak and you're able to sit through it, you're able to enjoy it. And also the meaning behind it because I'm not just um, singing about, you know, just to sing about, I'm trying to get some messages out that might be helpful to others who listen. That's awesome. Who, when you're singing, who are you singing to? So in the beginning of my career, it was always, I'm gonna sing for my followers, I'm gonna sing for my followers. And then I feel that's kind of when I felt like this connection between the music that I make and the path that I'm trying to take. 
I, so what I used to do was I would put instruments on and then I'm not, I wouldn't even record. I would just freestyle. And you, sometimes I'm like, that could have been a song. But then it only comes out like that when, you know, I'm doing it to make my, me, me feel good about it. And then so I think that's where it really comes from is that's when who you are shows. It's through the music. Yeah. But the, what I want to talk about is the White House and what the, mm -hmm. if you thought the decor was cool in there or, or your reception. What I'm saying is you've had opportunities to meet some pretty important people. I've, I've got a picture on my my computer of you standing next to Sally Jewell, the Secretary of Interior, and John Kerry when President Obama was president. It, do, you, do you see your music as being able to convey ideas and what's important and values into other spheres, political spheres, or influencing people? I think so. Um, a lot of these songs and these messages, they were passed down generations of generations because Yupik is a spoken language, it's not written. And then so a lot of the beliefs that we have is from years and years of surviving off the land and, you know, just working together. And when you've got something that works, you're going to continue to want to pass it down. And, and actually in school, what we, what we used to do, I'm not sure if they still do it today, is every week we're going to have elder talk. That's when elders from the town come in and they speak with the students. And they, they start with, which are do's and don'ts of life and just some things to think about for the back of your mind because I, we were, we're always told you might not know it now but later eventually you'll understand it and so that's why we're kind of told a lot of those things early on so it kind of cements itself into the back of your mind because you're being told so many times that it just kind of becomes instinct yeah now Tuk Tuk Bay is famous more recently because of the U.S. Census. Talk about a remote place. Wasn't Tuxuk Bay the first person was counted in this last census? That's, I, it's, still, it's still crazy to me because you have to think of the whole United States. And there are so many places to choose from. So many. How they end up in Tuxuk, it's, that's, I know that's something that st I still wonder about. And the, uh, uh, the first person that got counted into that census, she's actually my grandma. And I was doing some um, some work with a film crew that was out there to document the whole situation with census. And on our break time, I was joking around with them and I was like, I know, you know, everyone knows that Lizzie's gonna be the first one to be counted, but hey, she's my grandma, so I think she'd be cool with me being counted first. She could come second. Soon as I said that, nope, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nope, great. that's not gonna happen, but how do you, I mean, I, I really can't answer that. It still baffles my mind. <laughs> out of a community with 500 people out of the whole United States, in Alaska, they're probably trying to go to the most rural parts of Alaska and just kind of make their way through where everyone is just so they don't have to like do, I feel like you, you get the hardest part done first and the rest is just smooth sailing from there. It's gravy after that. Mm. That's great. Back to the Salmon Fest part of this. The stage that you were on has been a long time in the making. The new uh, river stage here at Salmon Fest and I don't mind saying I was blown away when I saw it. And the amphitheater mm. around here that'll seat so many people, the beautiful murals on the outside, the technology inside. 
Byron, you're the first person to play on that stage. Um, and I was so happy when I saw I'd sing you dance at the top of the bill. What was that like? Not gonna lie, um, I was nervous. I mean, you know, Salmon Fest is such a huge part of Alaska. And just to be the first person to perform on that stage, it was a little nerve wracking, but I, I was enjoying myself up there and everyone was enjoying themselves. So, you know, it, that really helped with like the atmosphere and the environment and the energy. But it was, it was an honor to be the, you know, be up there first in Salmon Fest. And this is also my first Salmon Fest too. I'm pretty excited to go look at the, all the vendors and see all the bands. I see you've got, I see there's a great lineup. So I'm happy for that. And no, I'm, I'm just excited for this whole weekend. I got one more. Can you think of a song that we should play and maybe help us understand it? What song would you, would you think would be representative of your mad skills? That's a good question, because there are, lately I've been really getting into the transition of working on more modern songs and I've been experimenting new things, um, trying to figure out the, um, the ratio between traditional and modern in there. So I would probably have to say would be a good one and um, would also be a good one. So a little bit of an explanation for um, that translates, translates to, you know, God knows. and. Um, one thing I really like about that song is there's a part in there where it sounds like you could hear some drums, but then there are no drums in there. And then the lyrics used for that part of um, part of the song is their lyrics for like a drum song. So it's kind of like um, a newer, it's a new experiment and people seem to like it. So I think I'm going the right way with that. I love that. And I love the, I love your connecting the past and the future intentionally mm -hmm. and it comes off amazing and your voice just gets better and better Byron over thank time you. I, I loved hearing you sing and thank you for joining us here and the best of luck and I can't wait to hear you perform again appreciate you having me here thank you so much Maybe I'm too lazy. for being too good. That's all that could be said. Do 
I'm Byron Nikolai, and you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're back here at Mission Control at Cook Inlet Keeper in Homer, Alaska. That was Byron Nikolai. We'd like to bring you now the section we call Salmon Champions. Sasha, who did you uh, bring today? I was excited to talk to two people who have been devoting time and energy into restoring the Aklutna River back to the king salmon fishery it once was. Today you'll hear from Aaron Leggett and Eric Booten. Okay, hello everybody. My name is Aaron Leggett. I'm the Senior Curator of Alaska History and Indigenous Culture at the Anchorage Museum, and I'm also the President of the Native Village of Aklutna, the only federally recognized tribe in the municipality of Anchorage. Then hello, my name is Eric Booten. I'm the Eklutna Project Manager for Trout Unlimited's Alaska program. My relationship to the Eklutna River goes back thousands of years. My grandmother was from the native village of Eklutna. I grew up in Anchorage. And for my entire life, I've only known a river that has been blocked by two dams, one deadbeat dam and one larger dam at the head of the lake. I've heard stories from Denina elders, the abundance of salmon, and what the river used to look like even before my grandmother was born. The native village is located next to the Eklutna River at the base of, of the mountains that take you up to Eklutna Lake and Eklutna Glacier, which were important subsistence hunting areas. And so I've been involved with the native village of Eklutna since 2007, and one of our big issues was trying to get the deadbeat dam uh, off the middle of the river and increase water flow down the entire river and restore 
salmon stocks for the river. Living in South Central Alaska, I found myself up at Aklutna often for recreation, primarily fat biking, running, hiking, camping. And I didn't know about the fractured ecosystem and the impact that hydroelectric projects had had on the river and the, the fishery. And it wasn't until there was talks about removing this dam that had been blocking fish passage for nearly a century that really introduced the problem. And since then, I have continued to spend more time in the area doing what I can to, to help support bringing salmon back to the Eklutna River. So many people will know that the town of Anchorage was founded in 1915 on the banks of Dagaitnu or Ship Creek, uh, the Denina called Stickleback Creek. And as the town grew and with the completion of the Alaska Railroad in 1923, it needed a reliable source of power. And so in 1929, a local businessman investor created a hydroelectric dam in the canyon of the Eklutna River, and that operated, I believe, up through World War II. During the war, it was discovered that as Anchorage grew in the base and the power needs increased, that this dam uh, and its energy production was not enough for Anchorage, and eventually it was abandoned. And in the mid-1950s, the federal government came in and built a larger, more powerful hydroelectric dam up the head of the lake, that's the one that still provides uh, energy to Anchorage. So we've got two dams on the river, one that still generates power today and one on the upper river that's been idle for decades. I mean, it really does fit the definition of, of a deadbeat dam. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not like a project that just stopped five, ten years ago. I mean, this is almost 60 years of, of sitting there with no benefit to anybody. It really is kind of shocking that you could build a project and just walk away from it and, and not have to do any mitigation. Aaron went on to explain how, in 1990, the federal government handed ownership of the currently operating hydro dam over to the local electric cooperatives. And within that transfer, there was a clause that after 30 years, the utilities had to do an ecological study of the impacts of the dam and try to see if they could facilitate more water coming down the river to be able to remedy the loss of salmon habitat. But one of the excuses that had always been in place was that the utilities weren't going to study this and weren't going to consider putting more water down the river if there was that deadbeat dam on the middle part of the river. And so once that was taken out with a lot of community partners and, and fundraising, that barrier no longer exists. And as it turns out, removing the deadbeat dam was no small feat. The removal of the dam itself was a multi-agency permitting process, and the native village of Aklutna worked very closely with its village corporation, Aklutna Inc., working with a lot of other community partners to remove that deadbeat dam. And Aklutna Inc. itself, one of its subsidiaries, is the one that actually did the contract to remove the dam and, you know, knock it down and then blow it up who better to, to remove it than the people who have been impacted by it from both a, a cultural standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint. Eklutna Inc. being the largest private landholder, have huge stakes to the area, wanted to make sure that it was done in a safe and effective manner, and really cared about it. To paint a picture of the dam removal, the, the dam removal actually happened 
in a canyon that is several hundred feet deep, tight, beautiful, picturesque canyon. And from the get-go, that presented some severe challenges. And, and safety being a, just a primary concern, and this was a difficult place to work in. In order to operate and remove the dam, they had to locate Alaska's largest crane and have it brought onto the location to lower in the equipment that would actually do the work, and then use the crane to remove chunks of the dam as they fractured it apart. And then ultimately, after they had gone as far as they could, they did blow up the rest of the dam. So there was the bang, there was the boom. It was 2017 when they started the removal of the dam. And as Aaron indicated, that it was led by Aklutna Inc. and the Conservation Fund. And it's pretty uh, noteworthy to know that the dam removal itself from the time it was started into getting permits to the time that the dam was removed was only four or five years, which was an incredibly quick timeline for many dam removals. Often it takes a decade or more. And I think that just speaks to the partnership and the will to have this dam removed. So in general, a great success story. And now the 61 foot dam in the canyon that had been blocking fish passage for nearly a century has been removed, opening up more than eight miles of upstream fish habitat. And now we're trying to get water so those fish can utilize that habitat. So at this point, following the time that the lower dam was removed, we entered into this agreed upon period in which the utility companies would start doing the work to make up for the project's impact to fish habitat. So the utility companies have been working with contractors to start this process. We also have the Klutner River Restoration Coalition, which is a group of stakeholders, all of whom wish to see a healthy, fully functioning Eklutna River and strong salmon runs as an outcome of this mitigation process. This project has become a remarkable example of collaboration. The coalition includes the Native Village of Eklutna, Eklutna Inc., Native Builders, Trout Unlimited, the Alaska Center, and the Conservation Foundation. 2021 was the first year of field studies. 2022 will be another year of field studies. And those studies are looking at everything from when we release a certain amount of water, how much sediment is being pushed downstream and how does that affect downstream infrastructure? How does that change the habitat below? How much diverse salmon habitat is made available? What is the existing fishery on the Eklutna River and Eklutna Lake? And everything all the way down to what macroinvertebrates are in the water. It's quite comprehensive. The other thing I wanted to mention before I forget, there is another complicating factor when we talk about the Eklutna Lake and the Eklutna River, and that is that 90% of Anchorage's drinking water comes from Eklutna Lake. And so there, there's another level of compromise or, or problem that also affects you know how much water can come down the river. But I think it is fair to say that the water that's going to come down, the bulk of it would have to come from what's being sent down to produce hydro. And there's no doubt that this is uh, one of the things that the utility companies are certainly interested in getting to the bottom of. And redistribution of water would be one of the things that they are studying at this time. There, there's an immense amount of water in Eklutna Lake. As Aaron said, 90% of Anchorage's drinking water comes from Eklutna Lake, which in and of itself is a very large amount of water. 
Uh, and interestingly, that chunk that is diverted to Anchorage for drinking water, that's only 10% of the water that is actually in Eklutna Lake. The other 90% of the water is what is diverted to the Eklutna Hydroelectric Project, which does generate around 5 or 6% of our electricity. At the end of the mitigation period, there will be a redistribution of how that water is used. Currently, all of the water goes to electricity and drinking water, none of it to fish. We would like to see some of that water go to fish, and it seems like there is enough to at least provide an adequate amount of water for salmon to be able to utilize the upstream habitat. I think of the overall energy production, it's like somewhere between 5 to 10% of Anchorage's needs. But the point is it's the cheapest form of energy. At the end of the day, what we can say is that there will be an impact to the ratepayers of, of Anchorage. But the question then becomes, are you willing to spend a, a few dollars more a month to know that there's another river that's producing salmon in Upper Cook Inlet? And do you value that? And not just the salmon, but it should also be pointed out just the overall impact it'll have on the entire ecosystem and environment. Because as we know, salmon provide sustenance and nutrients, not just for humans, but for animals and trees and plants and all of that. So it's kind of a balancing act. Do you value habitat and in the future, more opportunities for recreation, especially on the lower part of the river? As mentioned in 2022, there will be another year of studies. Following that in 2023, the data that has been collected from these studies will be being reviewed and then mitigation proposals will be put forth as to how the utility companies will make up for the project's impact to fish and wildlife, which they're legally obligated to do. And then in 2024, the Alaska governor will determine the mitigation requirements that are necessary. So now's the time for Alaskans to continue to be involved in this process. If you are a member of the Chugach Cooperative or Matanuska Electric Association, you can communicate your support of this effort to the board of directors of those electric co-ops. The tribe, as well as folks who frequent the Eklutna River, got a taste of what they're working toward just last September. Water was released from the diversion dam for the first time intentionally in 66 years. And the reason that water was being released was to help inform an in-stream flow study that the contractors were conducting to provide some of the data of how the downstream channel habitat is impacted when water is released. So in the middle of September, flows are being released. It was, it was a great sense of making all this hard work a reality. Just to be up near the lake and to see this river flowing down and watching this water come down and how quickly it filled back into what was essentially a dry riverbed. You know, it only took less than a day. And in a way, it looked like it had always been there because, of course, for thousands of years, there had been water. It had this, you know, this amazing feeling to me of watching water coming from the lake all the way down, going past the village, and just just the beauty of it. It gave me a, a great sense of, of pride and, I guess, a connection to my ancestors. I was actually there only days before the water was released, and I took a trip 
downriver from the diversion dam and was in kind of the start of the canyon and just remember how peaceful how quiet it was and then i came back once the water was flowing and instantly i could hear flowing water through the canyon and looking back when i was there previously it was quiet it was peaceful but it was incomplete in a way and then being back hearing flowing water in that setting it felt complete and that feeling still sticks with me today it was quite beautiful <laughs> well i think that if it comes back to the core issue it, it really is for most alaskans kind of a no-brainer we can disagree on a lot of things but the idea of putting more salmon and the availability of more salmon into our state is something that's pretty non-controversial for me i've watched in my lifetime and i'm not that old the virtual disappearance of uh, a wild king salmon fishery in upper cook inlet none of the rivers around here are doing exceedingly well creating more salmon habitat i think is a benefit for all alaskans for our community in aklutna which extends not just from the native village of Aklutna, but throughout the municipality. And we have members that live throughout the United States. It would be a return to creating a sense of wholeness for us. You know, we have this village that's existed for over a thousand years, but for the last hundred years, one of the main reasons that we were there has not been healthy. So in a way it's, it's, it's healing for our community. I think it's healing for Anchorage. I think it's healing for Cook Inlet. And I, I look forward to, to seeing that happen. I think it takes a lot of partners and studies and meetings and money, frankly, to help see this, you know, come through as a reality. And there's a lot of challenges that I think as we can slowly alleviate those roadblocks, we can find a compromise so that we have this wonderful treasure that we can bring back. Yeah. And from my perspective as a, an, individual in, in South Central Alaska and, and someone who has been helping share this story a lot with anglers in particular, there is a lot of excitement about the project. Alaska overall, we are known as a salmon state and we have seen salmon runs go extinct throughout the Pacific Northwest. And in Alaska, we continue to see alarming concerns with a lot of our own salmon runs. So uh, there's a, a sense of accountability for us to make up for the impact that we have had to salmon right in our own backyard. And for those of you who are interested in learning more about the Aklutna Dam removal and the effort to return salmon to the river, please visit aklutnariver.org. On there, you can learn more about the history of the river and the hydroelectric project, find videos from the dam removal as well as the recent water release, and take a pledge to support restoration for the Eklutna River. Thank you for having us. Have a good day. Thank you. Catch you later. And you're still listening to Salmon Fest Radio here at the end of our first episode of Season 2. We've got people to thank. Yeah, so many people support the production of Salmon Fest Radio, and we want to make sure to honor and acknowledge them. First and foremost, we want to thank our music recorder, Pastor Tim. He recorded all the main stage sets of Salmon Fest 2021 and beautifully mastered them for your listening pleasure. And our friends at KBBI who provide not only equipment, but technical and moral support. 
and to our organizational hosts and employers of all of us, Cook and Keeper, who believes that celebrating our connection to salmon is worth doing. A tip of the hat to the folks at Salmon Fest who pulled together the music and the fun that happens every year in Anilcha. I especially want to thank our features today, Byron Nikolai, Aaron Leggett, and Eric Booten. And of course, to Kira Harty, who has been our editor and producer for both seasons, who makes this program sound great. And finally, a big thank you to our listeners. We love hearing feedback, and we hope that you've enjoyed the show. Hey, Satchel, how can people connect with us? You can find us at salmonfestradio.org. You can send us an email at salmonfestradio at inletkeeper.org. And if they were listening to our program over one of the stations of the Alaska Public Radio Network and they want to go back and listen again or they want to go way back and listen to the first season, how do they find that? You can find that anywhere you stream podcasts. And make sure you like Cook and Lit Keeper on social media to stay up to date on all of our future Salmonfest Radio releases. Well, that's it for now. From Homer, Alaska, this is Dave. And Satchel. And you're listening to Salmon, Salmon Fest, Fest Radio. Radio.